Welcome back, one and all, to yet another new episode of the What the Niche podcast. I'm super stoked for all of you to hear this great conversation with a wonderful guest today. But before we jump into that, I have a couple quick announcements. My buddy Brian Rodman just launched his Kickstarter campaign for his seventh issue of his comic series, Memoirs of an Angel. The link for the Kickstarter can be found in the episode description, and I highly recommend you go support an awesome comic produced by a stellar human being. Next, I'd like to remind you to go and check out my former guest Dawson Richards' podcast, The Void Frequency. It's a terrifying dive into the realm of all things macabre and mysterious. You can find the link to his show in the episode description as well. Finally, please continue to visit my website, whatthenitch.net, to get updates about everything going on with the various podcasts that I am producing, and to grab some great merch. Currently, I have hats, shirts, stickers, and buttons all available for purchase. As always, I greatly appreciate all of my listeners, and I hope you continue to share the show with your friends and family. That's all I have for this week, so now it's on to this week's episode. In this week's episode, we are exploring the beautifully brutal world of professional hockey. My brother and I were both small in stature, so basketball was out of the question. Baseball was our main thing, and I realized at an early age, even though I was an okay baseball player, that broadcasting baseball was what my ambition would be, and I decided on that at age nine. My parents were both educators. My mom was a physical education teacher and a home ec teacher. My dad was a band director. They encouraged me to stand up and do anything that gave me the opportunity to make mistakes and learn from them. At age 14, I got to see my first live hockey game and all of a sudden my ambition became not baseball, but hockey. And they continued to encourage me to do that. 1960 was a big year because the Olympic team had won the gold medal at Squaw Valley. And then I got to see my first live game in December. I'd never seen anything so fast or bombastic. And these guys were a long way from the NHL. There were only six teams in the NHL at that time. You couldn't prove it by me. The way they committed their bodies to collide into the boards and how exciting it was and it went to overtime. And there was a fight with two seconds to go in the overtime. It was magnificent. And on the way to the car, that was it for me. I wanted to be a hockey announcer. <laughs> when I got my driver's license, I started to go to Fort Wayne. I could sit there in a corner of the Allen County Coliseum on nights when they didn't sell out and broadcast games to myself. It was a wired mic and you would hold the tape recorder on your lap because it was reel to reel back then. It was archaic. Eventually, Emmerich found a way to introduce himself to the real voice of the Comets under the guise of interviewing him for a term paper he was writing. The questions about his career flowed from there. 
And soon, the aspiring broadcaster had found a mentor and a lifelong friend in Bob Chase. Back the back burger cup for the Comet. Hey, it doesn't get any better than this. He came to me and said, do you think you can give me some idea of what I have to do if I want to be a hockey play-by-play guy? Four into the zone. Slap shot. game after game and a day or two later he'd be in and we'd be talking about it and it was obvious even then before he developed this incredible style that he had a great ability to transform eye to voice and words snow flying in their faces as they celebrate as kids they might have done 20 years or so ago in a two-on-two game this was not that (laughs) as my ambition rose to try and become a professional hockey announcer i would converse with him on a regular basis. You could just tell it that Mike relished what he was doing. Once the passion began to catch fire with him, there was no stopping him. It is brought right back in, a little pass to the front backhander, save Oscar, and that's it! The Detroit Red Wings, for the fourth time in 11 years, are the Stanley Cup champions. One last marvelous play. For thousands of of years. There are those who have acted as gladiators in civilizations across the globe. From the Roman Colosseum to the modern arenas of sport, people have always had the thirst. One which is only quenched by the means of violence and mayhem. Lions once tore at the flesh of unwilling warriors. As maniacal spectators' carnal screams ring through the ears of those being torn apart. Time has passed and traditions have changed. Yet some of the barbaric and primitive desires of controlled war still prevail. Those gladiators of old who once wielded spears and shields now carry sticks and graciously move about on blades of steel. These marauders of the ice echo memories of a time when the civilized world cheered on those who inflicted pain on their opponents. Ferocious fans pound on the glass and the thrums of battle beckon back to the cries of the ancient ones. The conflict unfolding within that 200 feet fills every onlooker with the feeling of unadulterated adrenaline. Animalistic urges coming to fruition in front of their eyes. The behemoths of the puck gliding across a frozen surface with frenetic fervor. Heaps of bone and flesh colliding creating crumpling piles of defeat on the cold ground. But amidst all the chaos and destruction, there is grace and there is beauty. Those who can maneuver through those minefields, venturing into enemy territory, tearing down the opposition's defenses with intellect and precision, and the true splendor of the game emerges a dichotomy of savagery and elegance. Hockey exists in this magical in-between, where on one end of the spectrum you have vicious enforcers 
while on the other side you have the elegant tacticians of the rink. And at this intersect is where millions of rabid fans watch the delightful remnants of those combatants of old who slug it out for our entertainment 82 times a year. And that brings me to today's guest. His name is Derek Mathers. He is a businessman, mental care advocate, and a former NHL hockey player. During our chat, Derek reveals many personal things about himself and lays to rest many of the preconceived notions individuals have about hockey players, especially those bruisers of the game. He demonstrates he has dealt with difficult things on to end off the ice and discuss his involvement with trying to bring to light some of the issues the world is facing with mental health. I felt as though Derek provided an incredibly candid and thoughtful reflection on his own life and demonstrated he is using his legacy as a former NHL player to do some real good for the world. It was an absolute honor to have the opportunity to chat with him, and I hope all of you appreciate this solid chat. My name is Derek Mathers. Um, I am from Strathroy, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I am an ex-professional hockey player for the Philadelphia Flyers organization. Uh, I've lived all over the United States and Canada since I was about 16 years old. Um, I was known as the toughest guy in the OHL and the ECHL and the AHL at one point. So um, I'm a bit of a goon, as you called me earlier. <laughs> You know, it's so funny. It, you know, I couldn't help but call you a goon. Like, that's one of my favorite movies, too. I, I wondered how you felt about that with uh, Sean William Scott. I'm sure you've probably seen it, I would think. It's uh, it's up there with Slapshot for me, in my opinion. And so that's a good thing. That's high praise because I oh, love yeah. Slapshot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love, I love that movie. Um, I mean, it doesn't do social justice for the goon, I don't think. Mm. Because, I mean, I, nowadays you can't be like that. Maybe back... Back in the '60s and '70s, there were probably guys like that, but nowadays, unfortunately, you gotta you gotta be able to play too. Um, but I mean, the storyline, and I love that actor. I love him from uh, American Pies and stuff. He's hilarious. So, of course, Stifler turned into a goon. I'm all game for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting when you talk about like the social justice of it. It's it's funny because you know. I think one of the things that probably made hockey the most entertaining was like Boston, you know, the Bruins when they were the fucking bad boys of hockey back in the day and everybody was tuning in to watch them just beat everybody's ass. <laughs> well, you, Boston. And you look at um, Philadelphia Flyers too, Broad Street bullies. Yeah. that Oh shit. Yeah. That, of course. Yeah. They, they made, I mean, they, they arguably turned around hockey. Yeah. They were the ones that decided that they weren't the most skilled team. So what were they going to do instead? They were just going to kill you. Yeah, and you could be as skilled as possible, but you, you weren't going to leave there feeling okay, and you were going to get the ass kicked. So at the end of the day, you're losing that hockey game, and then uh, teams started to follow suit, like Boston and shit. I mean, every team, every team at yeah. one point was stacked with you know first, second line were great players, third and fourth were heavyweights and tough guys, and I mean even looking like Gretzky, 
had Marty McSorley with them and a few other different guys. Oh, that would, they, those guys barely skate. They'd have 55 points in a year and they just protect, um, protect Gretzky. They were willing to go one man short on that line pretty much just to have protection out there. So. It's, yeah, it uh, seems like crazy. every team still does that a little bit with like McDaniel's and you know some of some of your more you know high point half flying beasts on the scoring end. You just like all right, the yeah. people that I hate. I mean, unfortunately, the NHL has uh, Crosby. Yeah, they they they've broken down on that a little bit. Um, they they like to point fingers at injuries every yeah. time someone gets hurt. That's like, oh, we got to blame fighting. When in turn, now you watch the NHL and you get see guys getting their heads taken off and you see guys like Brad Marchand and, I mean, Matt Cook back in the day and just guys like that who could get away with murder because they knew there was no repercussions. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I hold uh, – I'm sorry, Crosby. Uh, if you li- ever listen to this, I'll never forgive you to what you did to P.K. Subban in the playoffs a couple years back. Uh, he <laughs> he got away with uh, smashing his face on the ice behind the goal. And I was like, cool, bro. If that was – like you said, I mean – and that happens in every sport. You know, they protect certain players because they're money makers. And, you know, I get – that there's a business aspect to this and you know, you don't want your, your key player and like LeBron. I mean, let's be real when basketball, I don't know how much you guys are into basketball up there in Canada. I know hockey's kind of the thing. And uh, that's not an assumption, right? Hockey is life up there, right? Hockey is life. Uh, <laughs> I mean, basketball became, I mean, basketball has been semi, semi big, the Toronto Raptors. I mean, they won last year. Yeah. Um, so that kind of, um, I guess amped it up a little more. I mean, there are still, I have a ton of friends that are diehard basketball fans that would know more about basketball than hockey, but yeah, for the most part, hockey is hockey is life and everything is second. <laughs> right. Well, with that being said, I kind of want to jump right in um, to one of the things that I do on the offsets of these conversations. Cause I'm always curious to see what things that, you know, people that are ingrained in these different right. lifestyles and these, these different niches and things of that nature. So what are some of the things that you think people uh, misunderstand or assume about you? Some of the uh, misconceptions that are associated with not only a hockey player, but somebody who was kind of like a bruiser or a goon like yourself. Um, I mean, I mean, the hockey player always, I mean, back, I, there are still guys that ruin it uh, as far as like, you know, the hockey player is always that asshole, cocky person, you know, the, I don't know. I don't know what the, the word for it would be, but very like my shit don't stink. I'm mm. the man and everyone else is kind of below me. Um, I mean, I, in my opinion, if you're that kind of person, you're a piece of shit. Um, it shouldn't really matter. It shouldn't matter what you're doing in life, whether you're a millionaire and you're making a lot of money or whether you're just working day to day, it doesn't matter. Everyone's equal. So, I mean, that's a big point. That's always something I've always kind of lived by. Um, you know, I, I come back to my small town of 20,000 people. I could go live anywhere and I still live in my small town of 20,000 people. I do golf tournaments and charity stuff and mental health stuff. And, you know, it, it's where I grew up and, and I don't look at anyone differently because they didn't have a success in a professional sport where unfortunately I do know people and I've seen it hundreds of times where it's the complete opposite where they move on. They're the, you know, King shit. You don't see them anymore. They don't do anything for the, you know, for their community that helped them when they were younger. Um, you know, no one is important to them anymore because they're not on their level. It's, it's unfortunate, but I, I think that gives hockey players in general, sometimes a bad name. 
Um, and then, I mean, as far as the goon stuff goes too, it's, you know, not every goon, like I, I'm kind of a different breed in that sense because a lot of tough guys, guys I fought, guys I played with, um, a lot of them didn't like it as I got older. A lot of them did it because it paid their bills. A lot of guys had some serious mental issues like before games, couldn't sleep for pregame. It's not like that for me at all. I mean, I enjoy fighting. I'm the nicest guy off the ice, even on the ice when I played. If you were a good, honest person and you weren't going to take advantage of me or my teammates, I'll leave you alone all day. Um, but I had that switch where if and when it was necessary, I, I would rip your head off. <laughs> But it was never like I didn't play angry. I didn't have like, you know, a lot of guys have some skeletons in the closet from past stuff. And there's just so many different ways that people get to, I want to be a tough guy. I want to fight for a living. And for me, I honestly just thoroughly enjoyed it. There was nothing that put me towards that. There was nothing that was like outside of hockey that's like made me just have to get my anger out on the ice. It was never like that for me. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I still do. Um, and for me, it was a way to become successful, make a career and, and get to where I wanted to be, where, you know, 15 years ago, I didn't even think that was a possibility. And then I figured out as podcast is called, I found a niche that <laughs> yeah. fortunately uh, was able to let me play professional hockey for almost uh, seven and a half, eight years um, and then and make some cash while doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome that you said that you at least enjoyed it because it, like you said, I, I've known, uh, I trained, uh, mixed martial arts and trained jujitsu for several years. Uh, and I have several good buddies that are fighters and I do know for a fact that several of those guys are finding their ways, uh, to fight their demons. Uh, one of my buddies, Ben Fowler, he just had his first professional fight, unfortunately lost. He fought a really game opponent, but dude, they looked like they could step straight into the octagon. Both of them just brawled. It was great. Uh, just absolutely awesome. And I know that he uses it as an outlet. Um, he's definitely had some things that have happened to him. I've had him on the podcast. Uh, his episode will come out at some point. And, uh, he's a stellar dude. He would do anything for any of his friends, but there's definitely some demons. And, uh, you know, I think there, there's some self-destructive behavior there and he would admit it to you. There's not me putting him on blast or anything like that. Uh, he actually addressed it after one of his knockouts, you know, he's like, I did this. He lost his daughter. Uh, she was, um, well, the investigation is still open. It was not a good thing. And so there are a lot of people that can find that. Uh, but there are also, I think, a lot of people in jiu-jitsu, which is, you know, it's a combat sport that I, I've encountered that are completely even kil kilter type people, uh, really level-headed, really intelligent, well-spoken. And, you know, it, oftentimes I think that combat sports, much like hockey, they're seen as these warriors, these gladiators that, you know, maybe aren't seen as somebody that are thinkers, you know? Yeah. I mean... You know, people always think it's like, oh, like, oh, it's Derek. Like, don't, you know, don't mess with that guy. And it's like, I mean, sure. You punch me in the face. I'm going to smile at you. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm going to, you know, then it's on. But, you know, I don't walk around being like, oh, that's who wants to fight. I'm looking for a fight. And, you know, even when I was younger and going to the, having the bar scene and everyone was like, oh, there's a the tough guy. And now, not once that was I like, let's go fight. 
Yeah. It was like, let's like my, I would actually try to go in there and mediate it. And like, guys, like, let's like stop, like, let's just have a good night. Like, and you know, obviously there were some repercussions if I did fight. So obviously that I'm sure that probably uh, contributed a few times because there was a few times that some people did need to get punched in the face, but unfortunately it couldn't be me doing it um, due to my career. Right. Um, but branding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's one punches your career is over or your life. So yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough to do it on the ice. I was fortunate enough to like it. I was fortunate enough to retire on my own terms. Um, and I mean, part of that was just, as we talked about earlier, the fighting, leaving hockey, the money wasn't going to be there like it used to be. And it would have been, you know, I would have been playing in the minors and it would have been just kind of grinding it out year by year. And, you know, I was 25 turning 26 when I decided to shut it down and, it was it was the hardest but smartest thing I've ever been able to do because now I'm, I'm you know I'm 29 or 28 this year. I've now been able to you know get into the sales games you know find kind of my uh, where I'm successful at and build a life. So I don't I, I mean my biggest worry was being 35 years old and going now what? Yeah. So uh, I you know I was fortunate that way. I got in because I liked it. I got out when I thought it was time and. No one ever forced me. There was no, you know, there was no family issues. There was no, I need to make this money or I'm or a toast type issues where I've seen the, the, the latter where it's guys that will play till 38 and have 15 concussions, but it's like, they don't know anything else and they don't know how to get into the real world. And yeah. that was my thing. I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy because I very easily could have been. Yeah. I could still be playing today in the ECHL making 800 bucks a week and fighting 30 times a year and then coming home and working a shitty job, staying in shape and just continue that process. But there's no end game to that. Yeah. yeah so that's not like you're getting a 401k and you know, you're setting yourself up for later in life, you know? Yeah. Like, and you're yeah. not going to remember how to get home, you know, when you're 50. Well, exactly. It was a little different when you're making $200,000 a year, but when you're making, $25,000 a year to do the same thing, almost more in the minors than you were in the, the big leagues. It's, you know, it comes a time where it's, you know, I'm getting older. I got to figure out what's really important. And as much as I love living in Texas and golfing every day and living the luxury life yeah. in that situation, it's like, you know, time, time's coming. Right. It's like I better figure out what I need to do when I'm young. So I'm not at 35 going, shit now what <laughs> right so <laughs> i'm curious like knowing that you probably knew people that were suffering from severe cte and things of that nature did that kind of put you on a trajectory and a path into pursuing things with mental health and maybe you can kind of explain what you're doing with mental health so people will understand what that is yeah you know what um it wasn't so much the CTE. I mean, and, and I know people who listen to this, when they hear it, it's going to laugh. It's like, oh, oh, sure, you didn't have any concussions. But I can honestly say, like, I, I there's no way I – there's no reason for me to hide it. Yeah. I had two concussions in my life and only yeah. one was hockey. And, I mean, part of it was I didn't fight like an idiot. I played I, – I, I was smart the way I was. I was strategic in how I fought. Like, I didn't – you know, you see some guys, they put their chin on a platter – <laughs> I get, you know, even the fights they win, they didn't win. Um, where I was able to kind of figure out a niche. I'm going to keep saying niche because I like that, but it's true. I found <laughs> a niche on how to be able to successfully win fights very well and, and not 
take damaging blows. Um, but to go into the mental health thing, it was, you know, I, I, I didn't deal with it until after hockey. Um, uh, you know, there was a relationship that a long distance relationship when I moved back to Canada that kind of fell through, uh, mixed with, you know, not making the money I used to be. So it was like, you know, I felt very stressed and like, shit, I got to find something. And I really didn't have to, I was okay for a while, but it was like just that mentality of like, I can't, I got to do something. I got to do something. So bounced around a few shitty sales jobs and looking back on it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it got me to where I am now, as far as like sales, like knock door to door sales and shit. But at the time it was like, it was hell. And it was like, you know, and you start questioning what you're doing. You start questioning what you did. I mean, everything just kind of spirals. And for the longest time, I never, I never talked about it. Like I didn't start talking about it until about a year and a half ago. And it was always like, you know, I'm the tough guy. And yeah, unfortunately the thing with sports, especially, and it's everyone, but with sports, you kind of have that king of the castle mentality. People look at you differently, especially being a tough guy. You know, the last thing someone wants is like, Oh, that guy's not tough. You look at him. He's a pussy. He's talking about this. He's, and it's like, that didn't get to me, but I think really it did. Like, it's like, you know, I, I kept saying to myself, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'll be, I'm okay. I'll just get through it. And you know, there's some times where it, it was dark, man. It was like, shit was real. <laughs> um, and it just dawned on me one time. I, I did a post about a year and a half ago. I lost my dog who probably at that time, maybe even saved my life. A rescue dog that just came into my life when shit was hell. It was like, it was just a, almost like a grace from God. And I did a post about how, you know, she saved me and kind of what I was going through. And I, just the outreach was like, oh my God, like people actually care. And, and not even so much people care because I, I never questioned that. It was like, now people know. But then also there's as many people that are reaching out to you saying like, oh man, like hope you're okay. Let me know if you need anything. The other effect of, of that is, 50 to hundred people reaching out saying, I'm dealing with the same thing, man. Let's talk. And then that kind of sat there for a bit. And then I decided to um, do a, that, that my, my video. So what basically what happened, I did a podcast with a fellow named Kevin rain, similar to what we're doing now recorded. It was about mental health and he's dealing with it. Now I played against them. He's from London. Um, so we did a podcast and I posted it and it went viral people all over my area. Everyone that knew me, was reaching out and like, holy shit, like, this is crazy. Like, you know, and I go through this too and all the stuff. And then a few of my buddies, close buddies that I had no idea were going through it, posted their own videos of themselves talking about mental health. And it just spiraled into, it was like, okay, you know, maybe it's time to do something. And I'm fortunate enough to have um, a, a very good following, obviously a small town. Everyone knows me as the hockey player. I do a lot of stuff around town as far as, you know, I run the biggest golf tournament in Strathroy every year, get about five to 600 people out. So I have, I have a pretty big following. And a lot of times if I do something, people get on board. So I just thought it was, it was a good time to just showcase how a, how real it is, but then also how many people really go through it. Yeah. And when we did that, we had 50 people on there. It was our first time through it together in two days Had 50 people on there all the way from Mr. Dusty, your buddy, yeah. all the way to a 16-year-old girl in high school. Oh, wow. 
And we talked about mental health. There were some stories about losses. We brought it back to positivity. And it was just to showcase, like, it's not just you. And, like, look at all these people that are willing to say, hey, I deal with it too. And it was out of control. I had probably close to 150 messages since it's been released. I've had um, organizations reach out to me. I've had nonprofits. uh, But more importantly, people that I haven't talked to in years. People that don't know me reaching out to me and being like, I saw this video. I want to be a part of the next one. It helped me so much. Yeah. I was like, you know, like that, that's my goal. And then that's what I'm trying to do now. So sorry. And that was a long winded answer. No. And it, because I find it really interesting, you know, because of course I'm coming from an American perspective and oftentimes we tend to be kind of insular, insular as far as, you know, not venturing out and looking at the news and um, you know, there are some assumptions made about Americans that not by, not by fault of our own, unless we seek it, we don't get much outside news for real. Uh, So I, I think it's interesting to hear that mental health is an issue everywhere. And I think that it's, it's even more important for people to understand that. I think that there is still kind of this old school mentality when it comes to men um, that you need to be, you know, let's not talk about our feelings, push it down. That's exactly how my dad was. I never, dad never told me he was fucking depressed, even though he clearly was because he drank himself to death. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate truth. I love that man till the damn day he died, but he dealt with some stuff and he never really talked to me about it and he could have, but I think it's, I have to deal this with this in high school. So one of the parts of my job that I never thought would be a part of my job is suicide prevention training. They don't, they don't really prepare you for that day in college. Um, you have to sit there and talk to kids that you've gained a relationship with and that you love. And, you know, I call my students, my kids, you know, because that's what they are to me. And so I'm sitting there with my kids and I'm telling them, some of you will probably kill yourself. Statistics say that out of the 150 kids that I have at some point, probably five of y'all are going to kill yourselves. And they usually get quiet. And I say, that's awful. And we've got to do a better job as a society, not just America, seemingly, which is interesting. As a people, as a world, to understand that mental health does not fucking make you weak. It means that there's something wrong with you. And that's okay. You don't get mad. And I I bring this point up to him. I'm like, would you yell at somebody or get upset with somebody because they told you they had cancer? No, it's just something that happened to them and it's an unfortunate event and life happens. Life is hard and sometimes we don't know how to process those things. So it's, it's okay to admit that and it's okay to sometimes if you're bipolar to say to yourself, there's things that are going to my brain, there's miswirings there and it's not working the way it should much like somebody that has cancer or I myself had a parasophageal hernia. Is anybody going to yell at me for that stuff? No. Is anybody going to be like, you're weak because that happened to you. So we've got it. We've got to do a better job so that people feel more comfortable so that it didn't take you until you were 28 fucking years old to address the fact that you were sad. You were depressed. You were upset. So I think it's great. I, the fact that you went on that answer is, is fantastic because I think it's something that has to be addressed. 
you know, and I'm clearly like I'm passionate about it because, you know, I, I have concern for my kids. I have concern for people. I love people, you know, and I want everybody to be okay. My wife deals with crippling anxiety sometimes. And she says, sorry, like it's a catchphrase and she's a damn action figure and she doesn't know why she does it. And yep. she's, she'll be like, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, <laughs> I love you, baby, but you got to get it together, but yeah. she can't help it. It's legit. I'm with her all the time. It's not, it's not an act. And saying to yourself, I need to see a professional. I need maybe some medicine to help and even me out. You're not weak. Yeah. And I mean, to your point too, is like, you know, about seeing a professional stuff. I was one of the few lucky people that I didn't. And I think the only reason when I say I'm lucky and still here probably to some extent is because of my past and because of the strength I have and like that tough guy mentality is it's not the right mentality, but that's what probably got me through some of the really shitty times. Yeah. But to know what I went through, there's not many people that can do that. Right. Um, And I mean, that's my thing is like, I don't, the reason I did it is I don't want people to be where I was because when you're where I was at one point, most people don't make it out of that. Right. Um, and you know, now I'm good. I'm honest and I'm happy. I'm back. And now it's like, you know what? I want to get in front of that. And it's, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be like as much as mental health is one thing, you know, even a bad day, like nowadays the way, like we were talking about earlier, the world and the access to dumb shit, one bad day mixed with a COVID lockdown. Like we're in, I'm in Ontario. We've been locked down since February of last year. We just opened up yesterday. Oh, wow. So, you know, one fucking bad day mixed with a lockdown mixed with, you can't see your family and friends. Like, you know, it even goes past mental health. Like it is a part of mental health, but like, you know, in the States, your access to some bad shit, you have yeah. one bad day. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you saw that video in Pennsylvania, the, the argument of shoveling the driveway. Oh, no, yeah. I, no, so, I haven't. The guy was having a bad day. They got an argument. The, the guy went inside, grabbed his handgun, shot, um, shot two um, people next door and uh, ended up killing them. Jesus. Uh, I mean, my, my thing is, you know, um, just getting the awareness out there on like just get in front of it make it okay so that people don't have to get to the spot that some people get to and just know that you're okay and know that you know there's people and if you don't want to go talk to a professional pick up the phone and call someone some call someone on that and that was like the message i got across too is like you know i the first thing i said in my videos i'm not a doctor you know i don't have the capacity to save you but I do have the command. Like, if you want to call me, if you're just having a shit day, pick up the phone, call me. Yeah. Like, I don't care if it's four in the morning. I'll take that call over going to your funeral any day. So, um, I think the last- importance, I think the importance of listening goes undervalued. Uh, I think one, uh, there was an interview with, uh, well, this might be a bad example because he's coming under fire for some shit, but it was still profound. Uh, Marilyn Manson, when asked about the shooting um, at, Columbine in, in the States, uh, you probably are familiar, even yep. it was a big damn deal. 
And uh, they were like, so, you know, because, of course, his music and things like that, they were looking for a scapegoat. You know, metal music must be the thing. And I was in a metal band for years and I always hated that. And he said, when asked, what would you have done if you had an opportunity to sit down with those kids and do something to change the outcome? He said, I wouldn't have said anything. I would have listened. And he's like, because clearly nobody took the time to understand that those boys were in pain. And he's like, I'm not justifying what they did. It was awful. He's like, but maybe just maybe if somebody was sat down, shut the fuck up and listen to him for five minutes, it might not have happened. And I was like, yeah, just like the guy shoveling the driveway. Maybe he's by himself. Who knows? I don't know the guy's story. Maybe I can't imagine how hard this is being by yourself through this pandemic. And I have several friends. Uh, one of my buddies, he does live alone and he's really struggling. And I try to be, you know, the the olive branch or the, the, the lending ear, whatever, however you want to look at it throughout all, all of this. And because I'm lucky I have my wife and we just so happen to be living with my best buddy. So I have people that I can talk to on a daily basis, even yeah. though we're kind of on lockdown. We're not quite like you guys were where it's kind of like laissez-faire lockdown <laughs> down here. But uh, even still, you know, there's a bunch of stuff I can't do. I teach. I can't. We haven't been teaching in person. I haven't taught in person in over a year. That's hard. I didn't go to school for four years to teach online. So it, yeah. it's, it presents its difficulties and I can't imagine compounding that with being by your damn self. It's gotta be hard. People aren't meant to live well, that way. Well, it it's is. Probably. I mean, I'm one of them. I is going to be in my dog. Oh shit, man. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we Canadians break the rules a little bit. Like I still go see my family. Yeah. I still have a couple close buddies. We'll have beers with and, but, like the social outings are there. Like you're not going to a, you know, you're not going to a, a, a Moxie's or a bar or something and having some drinks one night. Like that's, that's been gone for a year. And like, you know, with all the shit, who knows if it ever comes back or it'll never be the same. You're gonna have to wear a mask for the rest of your life. And like, yeah, like I said, thank God I'm in a good place. And that's another reason why I thought my video was so timely because if I was in the situation I was in before, with a lockdown on top of it, like who knows? Right. Right. And it's like, there's so many people. And like, even too, like, even if you aren't alone, sometimes you feel alone because I, w I went through it. And I had a girlfriend when it first started happening. And it was like, you know, I, I even remember it was like, I would tell her like some things I'm like, yo, I don't like, I'm not right. Like right now. And they're like, Oh, like you're fine. Like you're fine. It's like, okay. You know? And I just deal with it. Yeah. Right. And I don't, it's not her fault at all. No. Like, I mean, everyone goes through that. I mean, everyone's at one point been told, Hey, you know, I don't think I'm okay. You're like, Oh, you're fine. Yeah. But now when someone says that to me or now I see it, it's like, well, let's dig into that because I now know what that could mean. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that you're doing that and you're using, I think it's good that people are using their platform, you know, understanding that you do have a broader base than some people do, yeah. uh, you know, and people, like you said, you do get kind of raised above 
others having been at the in the big leagues and things of that nature. You know, so pe- people might put a little more weight into the things that you say. So understanding these people that you may have been a hero to a bunch of people and yeah. understanding that even your heroes are flawed and they're people. And I think that, that has a huge impact as well. Uh, and I think a lot more people are doing that. You know, Mike Tyson, think yeah. about his story. What a what a cool story. That dude is one of my favorite people just because he was a a wild man, absolute wild man, biting ears off people and you know, just drug benders said he was doing lines of coke before he would go into fights and what a crazy story and to know that, you know, he's kind of finally getting it together. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I mean, that's the that's the thing too and my my thought mind is like okay, if if you know, if I if I come out and say it you know, these people that don't think they're, I don't know the right word, the, the way to explain it, but the people that don't think they're where I am because of what I did and the people that like look up to what's Derek doing, I'm going to follow type, you know, and I'm, I'm happy I have that situation because I can do good things with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if Derek, you know, if Derek comes out and says that the big tough guy from Strathroy that will beat up anyone in everyone's opinion is able to sit there and be like, hey, man, I dealt with it. I want to help people. It just like everyone else is like, oh shit. Yeah. I can talk about it then too. You know, it's not, it's not so weak anymore. Exact. Yes. Um, Absolutely. I mean, that's my big, that's my big thing behind it. And um, obviously I'm just getting started, but it's, uh, it's been good. I mean, part of that too got us together. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's kind of snowballing, right? Like people hear it, people want to talk about it it gets your mind thinking about stuff that you might not have thought about before. Absolutely. Yeah. And when, you know, uh, our mutual friend is my buddy, Dusty Sutherland, former guest of the podcast. I uh, talk about him quite a bit. Um, you know, you met him and he shared with you, he kind of, uh, made himself vulnerable much like he did on the show. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a guy, you know, who's really starting to be somebody who wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think that's because he realized much like you know, you're talking about the the burden of not sharing for so long, you know, because he has a family and you know he was a navy member, you know he was a corpsman, and in that position you got to be, you definitely got to be strong. You can't show weakness when somebody just got blown to bits by a roadside bomb, and you got to put them back together. You can't be like, well, shit, what do I do now? Uh, yeah. You know, they're not going to feel real great about you taking care of them. So, you know, doing that, that can come with its own sense of repressed emotions and things of that nature. So probably kind of more similar than you might think with a hockey player. You know, it's another position of toughness and things of that nature being in the armed services. And I think a lot of guys are dealing with that. And we're seeing it more and more where guys are coming back with PTSD and things of that nature. Because I think, again, back when you called it shell shock, people used to call it that. Uh, George Carlin had a bit on that. He's like, we changed the names of the things uh, that what did they used to call it uh, before shell shock? It was like uh trench trench trauma or something like that. There was some other little thing back in the day. So it's like, it's always been there and we kind of always just said, just deal with it. And I think it's good that we're finally bringing it to the light and people are saying, no, this is a real problem. We need to figure this out. Yeah. And you know, even too like obviously I'm Canadian, but it's the same in Canada as in the states. The thing that kills me is the no support for them when they come back. Oh yeah, you, like you look at USA, 
and obviously USA, you know, one of the best countries to live, blah, blah, blah. But they build and pride themselves around having one of the biggest, best armies in the world. Like you don't mess with the USA. No. And they put trillions of dollars into oh, yeah. having the best of the best and, you know, 50,000 troops on call and, you know, a shit goes down, U.S. is going to win. But then they pay these guys peanuts and they come back after seeing three other buddies get blown up and you don't give them fuck all. And, you know, that's another reason, even talking to Dusty, I was so happy when he shared because it's like, like you said, when he talked, and I don't know if that was the first or second time he's actually shared to people, but from what I understood, it might've been. Yeah. And when I heard him and just saw the genuity of, of how he was talking, it was like, how has no one ever been talking to him before? Like, right. How has no one ever thought to say, Hey man, like, how you doing? Like, let's have a beer and like, what's up? Like, tell me something, tell me a story that has to get off your chest. And it just, it boggles my mind. That's just one minuscule thing. But, you know, for someone I've come close to and I genuinely admire being dusty, it's like, you can tell that hasn't been said much. And he's been a retired for what, 10, 15 years out of that now. And it's taken that long for someone to just say, man, what's up? Like that to me kills me. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, there's tons. I mean, obviously we're just two, two people, but, yeah. Even starting the conversation is, it, it, it's, it's crazy to me. It really is. Well, we're, we're taking the steps. I think people are, it's, it's things that the conversations are happening. I don't know if you have uh, heard of Mark Marin. Uh, he's a comedian down here. He has a wonderful podcast called WTF. Uh, I love it. He talks a lot about it. He's really open with his stuff. I think he helps. There's a lot of people. I, I think it's really it's really becoming uh, to the forefront and people are really starting to address it. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, but not to like derail anything that we're doing. Um, but I know that you said you had a story associated with your neighbor. I'm intrigued now. Uh, we paused a little bit of our conversation and he's like, I got a story for you. Yeah. So, so long story short, last night I was sitting here and uh, also got a smash at the door. Someone smashing my door. I live in a condo. I own my condo and I have some neighbors and, there was an old lady at my door screaming her head off. So I opened the door and I'm like, what, what's going on? And uh, so she's like, come here, come here, come here. And, you know, she's there in their eighties, maybe nineties, like they're older. And I thought I was going to have to give CPR to a 90 year old man. And I was like, Oh no. Like I was, so anyway, I run down to their condo and I go in and, and also I just hear a smash. Their son-in-law was trying to break in to their house and was smashing their window at the back. So I had to go out there and tackle them off the, uh, off the railing and off the balcony and basically hold them down to the cops came. So I always laughing because we had this podcast coming up. I'm like, Oh, well, I can still talk, tell a fighting story. <laughs> <laughs> you still got it. <laughs> well, the reason, the reason I'm, I paused is I gave the older lady my number. Because yeah. apparently he's out of jail already. Oh, Jesus. So I said, oh, the Canadian, don't get me started there. But um, I said, you know, here's my cell phone number. If you need anything, call me. And she's a Portuguese lady. It was a Portuguese name up. It was actually her daughter just calling me to thank me. Oh, wow. But I thought it was her. 
And right before that phone call came, a snowplow went by and I heard a smash. <laughs> so it was just like, oh my God, he's here. And then that happened. I'm like, I better take this call just in case. But when that have been funny, we would have live video of that. Yeah, I'd have made you take me with you uh, <laughs> for the altercation. Be like, we'll just get clips of you like tackling some dude. Be like, <laughs> in real time. <laughs> so I mean, it's it was uh, it was quite the uh, quite the night, and uh, I was just laughing at my parents' house, and they're, they're like, "Well, tell them about the fight story. I'm sure people want to hear that." <laughs> right. That's like, that's pretty wild, dude. Well, good. I'm glad you were able to help, and they it were they knew they were aware enough of you. I guess small town. They know yeah. where the tough hockey guy lives. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, Derek's down the street. Get him. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, you know what? It's, it's funny. Cause I don't, it's, I don't really think of it like, you know, oh, I was the right place, right time. But you know, everyone I've talked to today, even my aunt who works at the cop station, she called this morning. She's like, Oh my God, like you're a hero. And I'm like, I just like, you know, if you're messing with an old lady, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> but like i guess you know there's more to it he has some issues and he's violent and you know he's trying to smash a hole through the back sliding door with the lawn chair which he did he got through the first pain it was completely shattered like if he gets in there and she doesn't think to come get me who knows right because it took 20 minutes for the cops to get there from when i grabbed him oh damn so i mean you put that in perspective after i started thinking about it it's like you know if if i'm not home or if I'm sleeping and don't answer that knock, he's in that house 10 minutes later. And you know, it's so it was, it was a, it was a feel good story. It was a crazy story. And it's just, I, I know we're kind of derailing here, but it was funny that all that's kind of happened the day before. And then that call just happened. That's why the story came up. So, yeah. So did we, it take 20 minutes for him to get there? Cause they had to, had to wait for the horses to finish pooping or like, what? Yeah. you know, what? <laughs> we're, we're in a small town and, I still don't know. I don't know if maybe she said, Hey, like maybe she was on the phone with them and said, okay, this like Derek has them. Yeah. Because the cops know my name too from charity golf tournaments. So, so maybe, maybe that was put together because even when they pulled in there, it didn't seem to be too much of a rush and I'm holding this guy down, but it, it was like kind of eye opening to me. Like, you know, what if I wasn't there? Yeah. Like if like 20 minutes, that guy could have been halfway across town. And yeah. did what he wanted to do in 20 minutes. So, I, you know, it was it was a feel good story. I mean, I'm happy about it because who? I mean, thank God I was here, and that's why I was like, "Hey, man, can we pause this video?" Because that call's coming, and I think it's her. And I'm like, I got to take this because who knows if he's back? Because there's still a chance he might be tonight. So, God, so there is crime in Canada. Damn, <laughs> you just you just spoiled it. You're just throwing misconceptions to the wind, son. Like, <laughs> um, I actually just listened to a a podcast. Uh, if you're into like murder and murder mystery and all kinds of wild, crazy stuff, uh, there was a guy who had actually become a, a Mountie uh, or a member of the uh, what? What do they call it? The actual term uh, for the uh, police there. Like a well, uh, guard or something. Yeah, they have a whole bunch. Like uh, Canadian Guard. Uh, they have uh, RCMP. Yeah, it's Royal, a, yeah. Royal, uh, Royal Canadian Mountain Police or whatever. There you go. And uh, they were talking about this guy who had uh, went on and basically killed this whole family, uh, who was just a complete sociopath. And uh, talked to kind of like what you started to touch base on on the Canadian uh, justice system being a little 
loose um, because the guy probably should have already been in jail uh, for some stuff that he had done and so on and so forth. So it's, it's tough. It's tough to know like what the right way is. Do you try to be more understanding? Do you throw people in, in jail for, you know, and this could take me down a whole nother discussion, but yeah, I thought it was interesting that you brought that up that, that you know, it took them 20 minutes to get there. And you're like, oh, what if you weren't there? You're right. So that's, yeah. that's, it's wild. Um, I want to know what drew you into hockey. Like, or did your, did you walk up, walk? I know there's the Canadian factor, you know, it's just kind of like ingrained. You were born with a stick and your mom threw the puck out or whatever, but you know, did your dad, was your dad really into it? A brother? Um, um, how'd that go about? It's funny. So my dad was actually a basketball player. My mom was the hockey player. My, my, oh, dad, no shit. my dad's family grew up. They were not small. My dad was a sport guy. He was kind of, uh, the the sport one of of the of the three the other ones were like computers and and weren't into sports and that's completely fine he was the basketball guy my mom was a hockey guy I grew up in a hockey family my uncle uh, Don Vermastenhoven NHL referee oh no shit uh, he was he was so that's my uh, my mom's older brother so they were they were in a hockey family so I got put in hockey when I was I think I was four and the I always tell the story. Uh, Two laps on the ice, I was balling my eyes out at the window. I wanted off. And my dad's like, get him the fuck off the ice. He doesn't want to fucking play. My mom's like, get out there. Get out there and skate. <laughs> and it was like, you know, my mom's a Dutch woman. And she's like, she grew up with a very hard-ass grandpa, uh, dad, who's my grandpa, who's the best dude ever. But he, you get on his bad side or you don't do what he wants, you're, you're in trouble. And it, she kind of had that instilled in her. And it was like, get out there. Keep skating. And you know what? I played hockey throughout after that. And I don't know when I fell in love with it. I played because my friends played and it was just kind of thing to do. And I, and I never really took it seriously. I always played like house league, which is like the lowest level. I don't know what's called America might be house league too. Um, but you know, didn't really fall in love and into it until, you know, maybe I was 13 or 14, you know, I was always a bigger kid. So then I had to start training I had to start working out. I wasn't fortunate enough to just be that kid that was in shape. You know, I, yeah. I, I had to start training. And then luckily it was like a, a two and a half year acceleration. I only played like uh, AAA for two years. And also I was drafted to the OHL. And I'm playing major junior and, you know, then was able to become a captain and fell in love with so much more. And then I was able to get drafted to the NHL. Like it was like a five-year turnaround of where shit just got real. Yeah. Was, I can do this. Right. Oh my God, I'm doing it. And, um, you know, I, I love watching it. I love watching hockey with my family when I was younger. I always watched, unfortunately, the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> uh, so you get used to losing. Um, but just grew up in it. I always loved the fights. I grew up watching my older cousin play for a little Strathroy Rockets here in um, Junior B team. Um, and I just remember loving the hockey fights, loving watching it. It was like Saturday night home games, can't wait. And, you know, you go there with all your friends and watch this hockey game. And, I mean, from there I just fell in love with it. And, it, it, like I said, it still wasn't real for me. But I played because my friends played, and it was awesome. It was fun, and we got to hang out, go to, you know, we were on a winning team, go hang out in hotels for five days, cost my parents an ass load of money just for fun. And, and luckily for me, I, I, I fell in love with it, and it – and was able to realize that there was more than just playing for fun in it for me as I got older and was lucky enough to take it because it's, well, I mean, it's funny. We always talk to me and my friends and 
if you if we would have had a bet who was would have been the least likely to make it anywhere when we were fourteen, my name would have been the first pulled out. Oh yeah, I was the only person from Strathroy my age group to end up going anywhere. It's funny so how I, that works. It's such a you know you're such a malleable person you know, in that adolescent range there, you know, working in a high school, I see it all the time. You know, I get kids in my class that, you know, I teach mostly freshmen. So I get to see them when they come back and they come back and you're like, you're doing what now? You know, they start telling you all the things that they're involved in and, you know, or I'll go to the basketball games uh, to uh, our team is actually really good here in Louisville. Uh, the Doss Dragons, uh, they're four and oh, they're winning by an average margin of 25 thus far. They're crushing teams. And, you know, I'm really glad. I got to give a shout out to my boy Insley Carroll. I hope he really goes on to do some things. I think he's going to do it. Uh, to see his work ethic in the gym, I was always like, I would always give him shit. I would always be like, hey, what's up? You, you ought to bring that into class. You know, because <laughs> I would see him working out before class. I'd see him working out after school. I'm like, if you put the same level in there, you'd have a 4.0. You know, <laughs> yeah. and um, he would just laugh at me. You crazy, Mr. Morris. All right, man. And, <laughs> you know, so it's interesting to see those kids in different lights. And much like you at 14, you're like, ah, you ain't going to do shit. And then you go on being the kid. So it's, it's fun to see how that stuff changes. And I'm curious, you'd mentioned this before because uh, I'd asked you, uh, what is, and I'm going to ask you this for twofold. What is one of the most memorable experiences that you had related to hockey? And then I'm curious, what's one of the most memorable experiences that you've had outside of the world of hockey, like in your everyday life? Yeah. Um, so in hockey, I would say, I mean, I would, I would put two being drafted to major junior OHL. Um, and then three years later being drafted to the NHL. I mean, that, even even saying it now honestly gives me goosebumps because it's mind blowing to me still. Like you know, you're sitting there watching. Even like tonight, I'm watching the Leafs game at my parents' house before I came home. Just watched the first period, and you're sitting there and like you're having a beer with your family and having some pizza for dinner with them, and you're like, "Man, I played there." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like, and no, and not in a cocky way, like not even like the, in like the most humble way possible. It's just like, just, it's, it's mind blowing because now, you know, I'm out of, I'm out of the game. I'm doing something completely different. And, you know, even sometimes you forget and people are like, man, like, you know, I have people in my company that love it and they still bring it up. They're like, man, like you played. I'm like, yeah, I did. You know, (laughs) but I mean, the like the memory of that is just like it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it, um, because it was so far out of reach four years before that, three years before that. Like, still remember when my agent said, "Like, yeah, you're probably gonna go, you're gonna start getting calls by NHL teams." And I'm like, "Shut the fuck up, what?" <laughs> and I ended up meeting with twenty of them. So basically, what they do, it's called the NHL Combine. They bring you down to Toronto. It was where it was that year, and all these teams have big boardrooms in these, in these hotels and you have appointments to go sit with them and talk to their GM and owners and scouts. And they sit you down for a 15 minute conversation. And I ended up meeting with 20 teams and I'm like, man, what is going on? Like me and my dad drove down there. He took me and I'm like, what am I doing? Like I'm sitting across from Ron Hextall. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, um, I can't remember if Gretzky was there when I was get like when he was there, but like just, 
the cream of the crop and I'm sitting there as a 16 year old and they're talking about drafting me in the NHL. And I'm like, well, what is going on? And then for it to actually happen is it's, it's still surreal to me. Um, I wish it was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, that was definitely the, the hockey one and outside of hockey. Um, well, I don't know. You know, I, I, one of my most proud moments right now is probably um, the, the charity golf tournaments I've been doing. I took a year off. I'm bringing uh, the, the fifth annual back this year. Um, but I've been fortunate enough, like we talked about earlier with my following. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been able to run the, the, the biggest, most successful golf tournament in Strathroy for four years in a row. So what's that benefit? When you said uh, it's so, charity? Yeah, so we, I change it every year. So... Unfortunately, when you just when you live in a small town, you know when there's a tragedy. Most of the time, you know them. Yeah. Um, so quickly, my first one was my ex girlfriend, who's still a good friend of mine, Megan Woodowis. If she ever watches this, shout out. But she lives in Strath still. High school girlfriend, still one of my good friends. She was in a car crash and paralyzed from the waist down. Um, so I did my first annual. This was when I was still playing. I think it would have been twenty one when I did my first one. Twenty two, maybe. Um, did it for her, uh, the golf course I do it at, she actually worked for, um, so just kind of spiraled and I sold it out. So I wasn't sure. I remember talking to the owner, a good buddy of mine of this golf course. And he's like, ah, man, it's hard to put a tournament on. And I sold it out in 24 hours, 144 golfers. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay. So we had like 350 for dinner total. Like it was a big tournament. And that was, that then was like one of the biggest ones I've had. So then it spiraled. Then I did it for a kid named Robbie Morton, 16-year-old kid, cancer in the leg, had to amputate it, died two years after my tournament. Did one for him. Did one for another, uh, the McQuillan family, who, 18-year-old boy, uh, unfortunately committed suicide from bullying. Uh, His family worked with, uh, his mom and dad worked with my mom uh, in the same company. So very, very familiar with them, know them growing up. And then the last one was uh, um, uh, kind of a family friend, guy in Strathroy. He's left. Uh, he was 33 years old. Cut himself in the flower bed. Instead of going to the, the store, um, instead of going to the hospital, he taped it up with duct tape like any fucking man would do. <laughs> Ended up getting yeah. septic, septic blood poisoning. Oh. Killed, killed him 24 hours later. Left. Uh, I want to say a three-year-old, and a six-month-old, and a, and a wife at home. So we did uh, we did uh, one for them. That was the biggest one. We had about five hundred people there. Raised about twenty-seven thousand dollars, and it went into their. Um, uh, I believe it went into their um, college funds because they were just starting to build one as they had their kids, and then he was he had a very state, very very high-paying job. And it just shit hit the fan. So it was kind of leaving them stranded. So, um, yeah, we were able to do that. And uh, then I took a year off and we're coming back this year. Do you know, so, do you know what uh, you're going to still, still look, there's, there's a few things out there. I can't really talk about because the people that it's about don't even know. Oh, okay. Um, they don't even know. I know, <laughs> um, but there's, there's unfortunately with being a small town and some of the connections I have, it's, you know, there's like there's a, a a small girl with cancer. There's a few other things that are going on. That's like just trying to pinpoint what I want to do with it. And 
it's very sad to say, but with our small town, there's always something like we're yeah. doing it in July this year. So there's still a lot of time in between that. And I, I hate to say it, but it's true. Yeah. Who knows? So, um, and also too, I'm, I'm holding back quite a little bit because I, I, I know it's basically sold out already. I put a message out about it and I've sold it out without even going live with it. Um, so I'm not really in, a, in too big of a rush because obviously with the COVID stuff too, who knows if we can even have it. Yeah. So. Well, one would think that but golfing I mean, yeah. is like the ultimate uh, social distance sport. I mean, you, yeah, you can space well, it out, work it out. It's going to be this, the semantics of it will be a pain in the ass, but I mean, it, I think you can make it work. Yeah, and I mean, if if we, you know, obviously the golf's just kind of the added bonus. I mean, we do we get abandoned. I get abandoned every year. And Nickelback. Do, <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> <I'll> be, <laughs> probably better than Nickelback. No, I'm just kidding. Um, How dare but, you? you know, They're kicking you out of Canada tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No, but we do it pretty big, and obviously, you know, the the reason behind it is to to raise money for whatever the situation is too. So. Um, you know, if you can't do it big, then in my opinion, I'm not going to do it. Like I, I can save that up and, and wait. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have a thousand different ideas. I mean, we've thought about doing two golf courses. Like it's, it's big enough that we could probably have 500 people golfing now. Oh, wow. If we had the capacity to do that, unfortunately we don't. And I mean, I don't have the, uh, the patience for that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three day long tournament. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, my big thing is like, you know, golf just the added bonus. It's it's time after. Obviously, it's a very upbeat time, but we do an auction and the family or whatever the situation speaks, and it's usually pretty emotional and like it's a very up and down night, but it's always a really fun one. And we always raise I mean, my first one I did a shot in the dark was twenty three thousand dollars. So Wow. It's been good. I, I love that you're doing that. I think that that's fantastic. Again, using your, using your platform for, for good, like the Batman of hockey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> less gadgets probably, but yeah, hundred percent less gadgets. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious, uh, what would be one thing that maybe that you're involved with that, you know, people knowing you would be the most surprised so are you like a huge anime nerd and people are like, what, really? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Hanta. You know what? The only, <laughs> thing that, the only thing I can even say that would even blow people's mind right now is I, I like to work. And, and, and that's a weird statement. But what I mean by that is like, I love making money. I love finding new ways. I've been really big into like, what else can I do at night? Like I've, I've been looking into like investing stuff and um, you know, I always Grant Cardone says, if you're not making money when you're sleeping, you're not living. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I actually, I just started doing freelancing on the side and it's basically these companies will pay you to promote their product. And every time someone buys through your website, so I've created a website and all this stuff. And um, every time you get people to go through your website to buy that product, they pay you X amount of dollars. Huh. And I did, I've done just did this over the last couple of weeks. And I mean, that's probably the only thing people don't know because I'm an open book. But I just like, shit, I'll try that out. And it's been good. I make a couple hundred dollars every so every few nights. And it's, it's, it's cool. And it's not even for the money. It's just give me something to do. Yeah. But it's nice that, yeah, I get an, uh, you know, I'm going to start getting checks in the mail. 
No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's cool. And, um, it, it's, that, I mean, that, that's my answer. It's a weird one, but it's something I just started doing and just kind of messing around with. Cause I've seen so many, you know, you get, you kind of go down the rabbit hole of Facebook videos and shit. Oh yeah. You see the guy driving a Lambo and it's like, yeah, <laughs> don't fuck off. But then I actually dug into it like real people. Yeah. Do it. It's, you know, it's not rocket science and it's kind of intriguing and you got to do your own ad stuff. And, you know, for what I do too, I'm learning how to do marketing stuff, which obviously, you know, does directing and stuff for the company and managing a company. Um, you you, you got to know how to do that. So I'm kind of teaching myself as I go and it's paying me money. So it's a, it's a very unique thing, but I didn't realize it was such a big thing. Like there's people that make millions of dollars a year doing this, selling oh. through Amazon and eBay and all this shit. I didn't even know it existed until a month ago. <laughs> right. Well, so. yeah, that's an interesting thing. I would have never guessed that. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's always so fun to see people that, you know, are like super tough and, and then didn't know that they're like, just a big bear, you know, just a big teddy bear, you know, and you're just like, well, that's what Dusty kept saying. He's like, he's a big teddy bear of a dude. And he's like, you're going to love him. And uh, He's not wrong, man. You've been super cool. Um, I like to close these out on uh, a really positive note. Um, and I'm curious, and this doesn't have to apply to hockey. Uh, I would actually, since you've kind of shared a lot about that, I'm curious as to who your inspirations in life in general, doesn't have to be hockey related because you've kind of went over that. So I'm curious as to who's inspired you to be the best person that you can be, or just in general events, anything, there's no wrong answer. Um, I, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, obviously you're my parents, you know, I, I respect and want to make my parents happy and, and be successful because obviously, um, you know, everything they've done, you know, I grew up in a family that didn't come from much. Um, my parents put their heart and soul and about 14 credit cards into me playing and it put them upside down for years. And I'm, I'm saying it publicly cause I don't think it's much of a hit. You know, they, they killed themselves to put me through hockey. Um, and was able to do that. Now they're, I mean, they're back on their place. They have rental properties now, so they're back to where they need to be. But what they went through for 10 years after, you know, after they were done paying for me, it was, you know, they went through hell and back. And it was like inspirational because it's like, you know, I, I hope one day I can do that for my kid. Um, and not even for, it doesn't need to be hockey. It doesn't even need to be sports, but just regardless of I have the money or I don't, be able to like put, you know, make that person happy and put them where they want to be. And I mean, that's just one thing. I mean, I have, you know, people in my life, I have a buddy named, you know, Kevin Kingma, who's, he's a real estate guy. He's, he's about 10 years older than me. Good buddies. He's always kind of challenging me. I mean, just everything. I mean, I just find inspiration from, you know, my big thing is just being, I just want to be successful because yeah. I grew up in a family where, you know, it was very modern income, very, you know, there was no, there was no, we're not going on vacation three times a, a year. You're not yeah. driving a fancy car. It's like you're, it's ends meet. Yeah. And I just want to be where, you know, it doesn't have to be that hard. And, and, you know, it is, it's fuck life's hard, man. <laughs> you know, and there is no uh, how to win life book. You, you slowly figure it out. And, I did. I mean, Are they, sure? 
I pre-ordered it on Amazon. I, I'm hoping it comes <laughs> well, soon. Order me, order me one then too. <laughs> no doubt. No, but I mean, they they inspire me. I mean, the shit they went through, they went through hell and back. They they flipped it around completely. They're happy. They're, um, you know, money's very good now. Like just and just seeing that flop and what they're able to do to just let me pursue what I wanted to do. And keep in mind, there was no except when you were four. It was get out of the house. Yeah, yeah. But even, <laughs> you know, even then, like. You know, when it was like, hey, we're going to play AAA. And like, by the way, the costs are going to be about seven times what they are. And there was no like holdback. They're like, yeah, let's do it. I'll figure out how we're going to figure out how to make this happen. Yeah. And I still remember my dad saying, he said, the worst fucking part about your team, and it's what we always laugh about this, is you guys were the best team, which we were. We won everything. And we were lucky. But he goes, that meant we left Thursday and we didn't get back till Monday afternoon. Mm. So he's like, we'd have four or five nights in hotels. We'd have, I'd miss three days of work and we're eating out three times a day. Yeah. He's like, you know, and, and, and to me that inspires me because it's like, you know, if they didn't do that, who knows where I would be, you know, I could be working at a factory today. I could be completely different, you know, who knows? So, I mean, that inspires me and it's not so much about the hockey stuff. It's just that they were willing to put everything on the line just to make me happy and my brother happy. You know, my brother went a different route. He's a plumber now, owns his own company, successful as well. Um, but just to have the, you know, inspiration to like, it just let me do my thing and it paid off. So that's, that's my dope. answer. Yeah, I, that's that's perfect, man, because I feel you. Uh, <laughs> there's so many correlations there. You know, I grew up real poor, you know, and I've talked about this ad nauseum, you know, so, you know, people that follow the podcast are like, yeah, bro, we know you fought roaches for food. Get over it. (laughs) Get the fuck over and move on. eh? Come on. All right. I'm in the my pie zone. Shut the fuck up. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, dude, I get it. You know, we didn't really do vacations. I've never been to Florida, you know, and in here in America, like that's like the thing. Oh uh, yeah, dude, we're gonna go down to Florida. We're gonna do like Panama City, and uh, yeah. I'm like, what? Okay, neat. I'd never seen a beach until I was 18. You know, my grandpa took me. You know, my grandpa happened to have some money, and uh, you know, the we live in Kentucky, Mammoth Caves here. We went there once. Uh, we went to Kings Island, I think once, which is in Ohio, and uh, we never went far. A couple hour drive, and that was our vacation. You know, and uh, we only did that maybe once every two or three years. You know, and so I get it. And we probably shouldn't have. <laughs> like, yeah. even when we did do that, my parents were like putting off the rent. They're like, hey, uh, we really want to take the kids. Like, can we slide on the rent? You know, so I get it. And I always wanted to do that too. And it was like, my parents were like, never push me to do shit ever. Like, I always did my own path. They were never like, you need to do this. My dad would get out and hoop with me. I played baseball. I, I would have played hockey, but it's too damn expensive. So I, being a broke-ass kid, my parents literally couldn't afford because one season of hockey down here was going to cost me about 1200 bucks with pads and sticks and ice rental fees. And I mean, fuck, I, I don't have to tell you. I know. You know. Oh, yeah. And um, so I just played street hockey with my friends and really loved that. And, you know, I was a Red Wings fan then. And, you know, really looked up to guys like uh, Sergei Fedorov, loved him. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the team. I watched, do what? Iserman fan? Uh, mm, eh. <laughs> I liked watching like Mario Lemieux. I wasn't a big fan of that team, but I liked watching him play. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he had a little bit of a, 
panache in the way that he did things. It reminds me a little bit of McDaniel and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I grew up liking the game. I just couldn't afford to play it. So I kind of stuck with baseball and basketball, tennis, things that weren't super overly expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I mean, I know, I know the feeling, but I, at the same time too, you know, now when I look back on it, like, you know, I was on two airplanes until I went pro hockey, went to Florida twice with my family, which amazing. Can't thank them enough. It was more than they needed to do. And same thing at the time, it was probably like, Ooh, do we need to do this? But they want <laughs> yeah. to it for us. And, uh, you know, but if it wasn't for that, I, you know, I wouldn't be the person I was. I wouldn't have made it in hockey. Yeah. Because, you know, you see the other side of things, these golden spoon kids. Yeah. You know, even I'm sure you see it in high school. And even in elementary school, you know, you see these videos on Facebook and stuff. There's this nine year old that's deking through everyone. Oh, yeah. he's going to be an NHL player. I, I'll bet my life savings on that guy don't make it anywhere. Probably not. Because he is so too good now that he's never going to work for it. And I played with guys all the way up that were, oh, fuck, this guy's going to be in the NHL. Well, he plays beer league now and makes $30,000 a year. Nothing wrong with that, but that's yeah. the that's the downfall of being given everything and not having to work for it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a grit that comes to it. Um, yeah. You know, I think that that's a, a lot of the, the the reason that, you know, in my own personal life, I've been able to be resilient and kind of let things go off my back because it's like, you know, this isn't that big a deal, you know, because we lived without heat for three weeks and uh, we lived without a water heater for three weeks. And I was riding my bike in 30 degree weather, 20, which you, you probably scoff at like 30 degrees. What was it? Uh, midsummer? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know. I, I dealt with hardship, you know, so a lot of the stuff that people deal with and they complain about and bitch about, I'm like, okay, you know, and it, it does make you tougher, you know, like you, you do certain things like getting on the mat, getting your ass kicked, you know, jujitsu for a year, you know, cause you don't know anything. You, you have the grit from life to get you through that college fucking sucked. You know, I was 30 years old before I decided to go back. You know, my dad died and I, you know, I lost him at 30. You didn't, you don't expect that, that to happen. He was only, I think he was 56 when he passed, you know, and that was way too young. You were just like, well, damn, you know, I felt like I should have had a lot more time. And I started really doing some life reflecting. And I'm like, what do you, what, what would he want me to do? And the answer was clear. Anything that would make me happy and doing what I was doing was not it. So it's like I worked 60 hour weeks and went to school full time. And then when you're with young kids, you know, you're 30 years old and there's some 18 year old snot nosed kid. And they're like, oh, my God, I got to work three hours tonight at the coffee shop. And then I got to write this paper. And you're like, bitch, I built 700 barrels today uh, and worked 12 hours. And then I came to school and still got a 4.0 and you got a 1.2 because you work at the coffee shop and it's too much like, bitch. And I'm paying this out of my own pocket. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, you're like, you're on scholarship or mom and dad are paying for it. And you're like, come on. Yeah. So I sound cynical now is what I sound, but <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I mean, when we were, when we were that age too, it was like, we probably that's, that's just your mindset, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, I'm, you know, no matter who you are, life kicks you between the eyes at one point. Them's is facts. It don't matter. It could be 18 years old. It could be 16 years old. You know, I had my first case that when I moved away at 16 to go play hockey. Yeah. It was like, hey, you're 16 years old. Here's a new random new family living. Here's how you cook meals. And here's how you get to the rig. Boom. Yeehaw. And you're like, 
mom, dad, <laughs> where are you? You know, and it, it's it takes yeah, that's all it takes. So I mean, you get kicked in the head one time, and it's like, hey, here's life. Good luck. Yeah. No doubt. Um, you quickly figure it out, and sometimes you have those regrets of like, shit, maybe I should have listened to that teacher that said, hey, maybe do this instead of that. Or, you hear that, students of mine? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or the old the parents and grandparents' favorite famous saying of like, enjoy it while you're young because time flies by. And you're like, oh yeah, sure it does. I'm 16. Time's not going to fly by. Boom, you're 28. You're like, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. What is you're, happening? You're like, why do I live in a trailer? Damn it. <laughs> not <laughs> hating on anybody in a trailer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well. Derek, man, I greatly appreciate your time. Uh, I'd like you, if there's anything that you got going on that you'd like to plug that you you can talk about, uh, feel free to plug it as we take this thing out. Uh, I mean, nothing really other than, you know, I'm going to be doing more mental health chat stuff. So, um, I mean, uh, my uh, Twitter or my Instagram handles Derek Mathers 29. So give me a follow. You'll follow there and we're going to do some chats if you want to be a part of it. Let me know. But other than that, I mean, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Andrew. It was nice officially meeting you in person. And I mean, this was a cool chat, man. It really was. I'm happy. Absolutely. I- Thanks, brother. I appreciate your time, man. And I will plug that uh, when I post this up. Uh, I'll probably post this in a couple of weeks and I'll post all the information to your Instagram and any of the things that you want to send me in regards to those uh, mental health uh, seminars, online seminars or whatever you want to refer to them as. I will link that and uh, spread the word for that because that's good stuff. Well, I appreciate it, man. This was uh, this was fun. I'm glad I did this. Same, man. I'm glad that you made it out. Thanks, brother. No problem.